learn the freaking product. That's the thing that I was like, when you go in, just learn everything you can about the product. Then you own this product. You own the journey, you own your job, but the product is what you're selling. So know it inside and out. And I think that was super helpful because for a while I kept asking people, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do this? And I was like, Kirsten, stop asking people. Just figure it out for yourself. Understand what's going on. And then you're going to be able to do this. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I am Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly, and I am excited that everybody is here. Before we dive in with my incredible guest for today, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our incredible supporters, partners, and sponsors. This episode specifically is brought to you by Vidyard, Blueboard, and Motion. If you haven't heard of Vidyard, they're the video platform that is built for business. So sales reps use Vidyard to record videos that are going to really grab your prospect's attention better than any email would. And they're not a typical video hosting platform. You can actually create personalized video experiences. You can track the analytics. You can integrate the video data into your CRM for follow-up. You name it, they can do it. Definitely check them out at vidyard.com and see if it is a good fit for you. Also, let's talk a little bit about Blueboard, especially right now as we're all consistently thinking of how to reward our teams. So as we know, reps, individual contributors, even leaders are somewhat tired of spiffs and cash incentives. And their leaders like you want to do something that feels a little bit more exciting, right? Send them skydiving, send them on a private golf lesson, or maybe a Michelin star dinner, but you don't know how to do that. And that's where Blueboard can come in and help with their experiential sales incentive platform. I was lucky enough to take advantage of this. They actually gave me an experience. So I got paired with a Blueboard concierge and they handled every little bit of the logistics for me. And I wanted to do something relaxing naturally. So of course I went to their list of services. I picked out a massage. The Blueboard concierge called me, set up the entire thing. I went in and it was an absolutely flawless experience. I didn't have to pull up my credit card, nothing. It was incredible. Check them out if you are looking for new and innovative ways to give your reps experiences instead of typical cash spiffs or gift cards. You can find them at podcast.blueboard.com and even get a free demo. And last but certainly not least, I have to give a shout out to our partnership with Motion. Motion is a podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. They launch podcasts just like this one. They are powering this entire podcast. They help create the audio, video, written content, and marketing out of each episode. If you are looking to start a show of your very own, you can find them at motionagency.io. And with that, that brings me to our incredible guest for today, Kirsten Reynolds. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I cannot wait, especially because we're going to spend a lot of this time just digging into kind of your incredible journey, which is somewhat unique. But to start us off, you are currently the head of partnerships at AirVet. Tell us a little bit about your journey from going from working at Morton Salt to working at Mattel to then working at National Veterinary Associates and now combining kind of tech and veterinary to work at AirVet. Like, tell us a little bit about your journey and just how you got where you are. Yeah, I mean, I guess 
people who stay in one industry all the time, that's not me. I've definitely jumped around, have a lot of transferring skills of this worked at Morton Salt, it's going to work at a toy company, it's going to work at a veterinary company. So a lot of what I'm doing is finding little things that I like and just keep going with them irrespective of the industry that it's in. So it's pretty exciting. I started in Chicago, one of my favorite places, and really just was a big company kind of girl. That's what I learned. When you go to school, I went to school in Indiana, and they say, these are big companies, these are big names, you want to have big names on your resume. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And then I was like, I was like, wait, but I don't, I don't really, I mean, I love food, but like, I don't really care about salt. My <laughs> old boss ever hears this, he'll be mad at me, but like, I don't, there's so many different kinds of salt, but I learned so much while I was there. I figured out like, they give me the opportunity to grow. It was a big company. It allowed me to learn so many different things and just like absorb all of this knowledge of all of these great people around me who also are big company people. So I really got to learn all of that and like moving to LA and doing all of those things and going to Mattel. I was like, oh, I learned these things. It works for salt. It works for kids toys. That's fine, right? Totally works. <laughs> and now I am working with animals and dogs and cats and veterinarians. So for anybody who's ever had a pet and you've gone into a veterinary office, please hug your veterinarian. They are amazing people and they need help. And this is an industry that is ripe for opportunity and just so many lessons that I can learn can be imparted here. And it doesn't help that I'm just obsessed with my own dog. So passion and function like kind of match in this situation. I mean, for everybody listening, her dog is literally here while we're recording and unbelievably cute. So I'm going to try to stay focused through the cuteness, but I hear you. And so kind of diving in a little bit, I think if you think about the thread of your journey, even you're like, yeah, working in salt. And then I went to work for toys. And then I went to work for a vet. And now I'm working with like, kind of like dogs and cats and vets, but from a tech standpoint. So let's start with Mattel for you. So you're at Mattel, you were there for a really long time, right? Yeah, I was there for a few years, which now is a long time because I guess most yeah. people only stay jobs for two years. <laughs> right. But there were lifers at Mattel and like there were lifers at Morton Salt and that was the thing. But I was there for a good number of years, had a great journey. I got in doing something I had done before, which is a lot of how people move companies. I had done pricing strategy at Morton Salt. I came in and did pricing strategy for Mattel. But then as I don't know if many other people have had this experience, but if you're really good at stuff, they will let you do other stuff. And you just have yes. to ask them to do more stuff. And so then I just kept asking to do more things, found myself in a great place in mergers and acquisitions. So if you could not be more corporate, the most corporate thing you could corporately do is M&A. It's crazy. But it was really fun. I learned a ton, found a, a passion for partnerships, making things work, really analyzing that buy, build, partner strategy, all of those different types of things, which got me to where I am today is just picking up a passion along the way and following it. Yeah. So that was kind of where the partnerships bug came from. It was sort of bred from, I've got down what I'm doing and now I'm leaning into something new. And then kind of this new passion is built. What kind of triggered you to, to want to go from a big company, big name like Mattel? I mean, even more insult. I mean, to your point, you're working at these large companies and then your next move into the veterinary space. What prompted that? Because that on paper looks like a really big career shift. And it was, right? Yeah, it definitely was. When I left Mattel, it was great. I took some time off, 
like working in big corporate land, people should take time off, take four months off, go travel, go sit on your butt for a week. I don't know. Like it was great. It really was like, you get over a job and you get the same way you get over a breakup is you like sit there and you're like, I'm done. I just need to like veg. And then you can start in this new job in this new company and be so completely energized and refreshed for this opportunity. And it was inspiring to me because I, so I'm single, don't have children. I have one for a child. So working on children's toys wasn't as like linked of a passion for me, but going Going into the vet space and being able to work in something that really kind of gave me energy was great. So working at NVA, I was there. It was a smaller company, but it's still one of the largest, if not the largest consolidator in the vet space. And so yeah. I wasn't having that impact, but I got this amazing visibility. I could see so many different things and I realized where I wanted to have an impact and really wanted to change the way people visit the vet. And one of my bosses there at one point said, he was like, we're going to change the way people visit the vet. And I was like, heck yes, we are. Yes, we are. And I was like, this is going to be great. But then I really realized, I was like, I think the way I'm going to do that is by going even smaller. I might've taken it to the extreme and going to AirVet. And like, right after <laughs> they got their series A funding, I was like employee 16. Like yeah. I, one of the first like business side employees, cause we have an epic group of engineers who built it, but I went small, really, really small to have a really big impact. And also you kind of went from, I mean, your work at Mattel, we wouldn't necessarily call that like anywhere kind of near the tech space. And now it's kind of, you went from that to like finding this love of partnerships to then kind of diving deeper into something that's a personal passion and working with animals and how people interact with their vet and thus like interact with their pets. And then the, the move to air vet. So there's two things, and this is kind of the main topic of our conversation is one, kind of your first break into tech and what that's like. But then on top of that, you're breaking into tech at a startup company doing something that is relatively new and you're new. So let's parse this down a little bit because I think a lot of people talk a lot about how I want to get into tech. I want it like I want to break into that, but they don't really know what that means and they don't know how to do that. And people don't know how to find themselves there. So you have one of these journeys where you wound up getting into tech. Was it a deliberate move to kind of get into the vet tech space or did you want to just follow the vet passion and then suddenly you find yourself at a tech company? It was a little bit of both. I would say I didn't like set out to say, I want to work at a tech company, but I realized the main thing missing in the vet space is usable functional tech that people <sighs> want to do, like want to use it. Like yes. nobody, everybody wants to like continue this like zoom life where I sit here on the couch and don't drag. Let's say that I have a 40 pound dog, but let's say I had a hundred pound dog. I don't want to drag that hundred pound dog in the car and then drag it to the vet and then sit in the car for an hour while the vet takes care of my dog. It's a whole thing. It's like broken, but like, how do you come in and with an industry like the vet space, how do you make a difference? And one of the best places to make a difference is in tech and introducing it in an easy, approachable way that not only the vets want to use, but the consumers want to use. And I was like, this is something I can do. And so I didn't get into tech on purpose, but I did notice that the answer to a lot of things was going to be tech. So I had to like yes. jump into that. And I probably should have been a little more afraid than I was, but I was not. I was like, no. I can do this. And then I got there and it was just, I was like, oh, I did a thing. I did a thing. I went into tech yeah. in like my yeah. late thirties. Like who does, who went, who goes to your first startup and your first tech company in your late thirties? And it's like, yeah, I got this. I, I did not got this, but. I <laughs> but I mean, hopefully more women feel empowered to be able to do that. Cause it's intimidating. Like it's yeah. intimidating. 
especially as you're more seasoned in your career to make a big switch like that. And you didn't just break into tech and join a company as an SDR or a BDR and kind of learn the ropes. You joined a startup tech company in a leadership type of role. I mean, you're making things happen. You're building. So what was that kind of the initial intention? I guess we can start with how did you even find out about the opportunity at AirVet? Like, how did that come across your plate? Yeah. I mean, as with most jobs, it's all about networking and who you know and the impression you make on them. So when I was at National Veterinary Associates, I was working in the telemedicine space, evaluating all the people there, all the different players, pros and cons for everybody, talking to all of them. So there are a ton of great people in the vet space trying to disrupt this and do great things. And then I realized that I wanted to like make a difference. So one of the guys that I was talking to is Brandon. He's our CEO. And I was like, you're super connected in the vet space. I want to stay here, but I want to make a difference. And can you help me find something that will give me that opportunity? Just going in and saying like, help me out here. And here's the reasons why I want to leave NBA. And here's the things that I'm looking for. Like, I'm not getting enough of this. I want more of this. Really just put yourself out there, right? And say, this is what I want. And ask somebody for help. And he was like, I will help you right over to AirVet. And I was like, yes, but I need a paycheck. And he goes, we're closing our series A. We can hire you after series A. I didn't really know fully what that meant when he said it, like how small it would be. Right. But I just like, yes, somebody wants to take a chance on me. I'm taking a chance on this. I did the full analysis of the worst thing that could happen. Right. Because I am not a risk taker by nature. It's just not something I do. I would say I've done it more than like I'm comfortable with, but I did the full analysis of what's the worst thing that could happen. Here's all the different scenarios in me joining this company. And then at the end, I was like, okay, if the worst happens, this is where I will be. It was living on my sister's couch. But (laughs) if that's the worst, so bad. I'm okay with this. So it's really just kind of getting comfortable with these crazy decisions, but you find somebody, open yourself up, be authentic, tell them what you want. People want to help other people. Yeah. I, when you're talking about the decision-making process, I want to take a sequitur there for a moment, because I think fear drives so many career decisions and the fear of not being comfortable or the fear of failing or the fear of entering a company where there's any kind of ambiguity, which is why some people think that a startup environment, especially in tech, is so scary. So when you talk about, I went through the exercise of the worst that can happen. I too feel like that's a great exercise to do if you're looking to take a risk and something feels intimidating. It's like actually lean into that thought and be like, what is the best thing that happens if I take this opportunity and what's the worst? So for you, is that a common exercise that you do is sort of like, what is the best worst? And then how far do you go? Like if you were telling somebody, here's how you learn how to take risks, how do you walk through this tactic? Yeah, that's so funny because I don't think I realized how much I do it, but I do it all the time, right? So I am one of those people, I worry about everything. I joke that I would have been an amazing Jewish grandmother. I just like, <laughs> worry about everything. I go down this path really far. Like the worst that could happen, here's what's happening, here's what's going on. Like go all the way down that rabbit hole because that's the way that I feel comfortable. So I just do that, go all the way down. Here's all the worst things that could happen. Okay, now I've named them. Now they're less scary. Because I know what they are. And then I know the signs to see, like, I've already looked at these things. I know the signs to see that I'm going down the wrong path. I'm going down a path where I could hit this spot that's not what I want. And so then I know kind of what the worst is that can happen. And then, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best. I love that. But I do it with a career. I do it with projects. I try not to be a Debbie Downer about it and tell everybody about all the worst things. So that's, don't do that. But it really helps me make better decisions, helps me feel more comfortable in just 
like in different languages, they say take a decision instead of make a decision. Oh. So I'm taking this decision and moving forward with that. I love that. Take this decision. Like, because that's what it allows you to do. So for you, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go into this area of ambiguity. And we're about to dive into just how ambiguous it was, because this is almost my favorite part of the story, <laughs> just to build it up. But the idea that, okay, I'm going to think through the worst thing that possibly happens. I make this decision. I get it over my head. It doesn't go well. I can't pay my bills or I lose my job. And oh my gosh, if I lose my job, then I'm going to lose where I live. And if I lose where I live, then I'm, I'm going to have to move in with my sister until I find a new job. Okay. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, well, all right. So yeah. that's not so bad. Like if that's the worst thing that happens, then let me think about the best thing and then take the decision. So I love that. Now diving into when you actually started, people hear startup, like it's kind of sexy. It's like, I'm going to get in, I'm going to build, I'm going to be entrepreneurial. And it is, but that also means that there's so much ambiguity and so much that isn't figured out. And my guess would be you didn't take on this role that was already set out for you, had all of the parameters, was completely built. What was it like the first couple of days or even months when you started? Tell us about kind of your role and how that developed. I mean, it's entertaining because I don't even think I knew what the job was when I took it. And so I still remember I was like in the car driving somewhere. I don't remember where I was driving. I was on the highway, LA life, right? So I was on the highway driving around and I'm like, so what am I going to do? So I called Brandon. I was like, what do we think my job is going to be? And he's like, I don't know. Let's think about it. And like, it was very much like hiring me for the person I am and not the job, the specific need. So that's one thing to really get your mind around is that you could be hired for a specific job, but you are coming in as a person with a certain set of experiences. And like one of the things our COO said to me when I started is, yeah, 80% of this is the job that you were hired to do. 20% of it is everything else that we need you to do. So just allocate your time accordingly. And I think that's something to keep in mind because when I started, I was like, do we have an org chart? And they were like, no. And I was like, do we have, do I have a computer? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, I own one. This is fine. Everything is fine. And then it was like, what about like, what are my planning strategies? What do we already have in place? Where are our contracts? And it was like, I mean, Brandon's essentially the CEO has been doing this job. So they're in his email and in his Google drive or whatever it was. Right. So it really is like not only coming in, but coming in as an employee where you have to start sharing things and sharing the workload and being team players is something where you come in and you just kind of like accept this chaos and say, I can fix little things one by one and just do it. So how did you do it? Because coming into that, I think a lot of people, even those who are really, really seasoned would almost be overwhelmed by kind of that level of long leash of we're hiring you for your expertise, but we haven't really figured out exactly what you're going to do and what your day-to-day -day looks like. And there's a skill there that people need to learn of what you do with that level of opaqueness. So how did you kind of handle that? Because, I mean, it looks, appearances-wise, it looks like you've figured out and you've kind of nailed down your role and you're starting to build strategy. How did you get from, we'll see how it goes, to where you are now? What did you do? I mean, I took the approach of this is, I'm going to be here. I am a leader at this company. I want to analyze the entire company. What are the opportunities? How do we do this? Jump in like you own the place. Yeah. Because at this point, there's only so many of us. So we all kind of own the place. And so going in and saying, this is the industry. Here's an industry outlook. Here's what we should be doing. Here's some great opportunities. And then you start to kind of parse out 
what you can do now versus this is a great opportunity, but like, I don't have a promo code, so I can't do any of this. So I'm going to go on a crusade for a promo code and push all of these things over to the side and say, I can do these things when I have this. But doesn't mean that they're not good ideas. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do them later. But really, here is everything that I think that this company is capable of. And then really, it's how you eat an elephant one bite at a time, like grab a little bit, I can do this. And then you're like, cool, cool, cool. This is a great elephant. I'm going to just like keep going after like little bit by little bit. And as we brought on more people, it was great to be able to share some of those ideas and that workload and bring it on and bring on more team members. So it really is just take this, take the reins. You own your journey. So act like it. I mean, there's so many things you said there that I feel like are like bumper sticker worthy. Like, how do you eat an elephant? (laughs) I love that. You make it sound easy. And I don't think that it was. And that's probably one of your gifts is that you, you have the ability and it's very obvious to segment and bucket things where they need to go and sort of cut out the noise and focus in. But I can't imagine that all of this has been easy. In fact, I would imagine that a lot of this was really challenging. So what were some of the more challenging aspects that maybe caught you off guard when starting in a role like this? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was definitely not easy. There are moments where I sat at my desk and like cried out of frustration that like, I can't do this. And we've all been there, right? So I don't want this to like sound super easy. But it really is making sure that you have that like ally, that supporter, somebody who believes in you. I am lucky that it's our CEO and that he and I have a great relationship. So when I freak out and I'm like, I can't do this, like you can do this. He's like, it's not the end of the world. We're not like curing cancer immediately. You're not doing brain surgery. Like take a breath, take a minute. And so I think some of the things, oh gosh, there were so many like little things, but it really was getting over the idea that I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't know tech. So it really was tackling these inner things and making myself feel more confident. So learn the freaking product. That's the thing that I was like, when you go in, just learn everything you can about the product. And then then you own this product, you own the journey, you own your job, but the product is what you're selling. So know it inside and out. And I think that was super helpful because for a while I kept asking people, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do this? And I was like, Kirsten, stop asking people, just figure it out for yourself, understand what's going on, and then you're going to be able to do this. So I think that was one of the things. The other thing that was really difficult to me is people kept saying, this is how things work in tech. And it made me feel really, really self-conscious and like I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. Turns out, don't accept that answer. That is a dumb answer. That's like when you go to big companies and they say, this is the way things have always been done. No, just no. So I really had to find a network of people who had done tech before, startups before, who are in different places and just like, be vulnerable, put yourself out there. Say I'm in this role for a first time. How do I show that I'm successful in a tech company? And just ask people things. Everybody has their own advice. Take what you want, leave what you want. But it really was like building your self-confidence so that you're able to do something. Yeah, there's so many other things of like the idea that what you learn in corporate can work. Don't let people say like, oh, you're in corporate. You don't know. What I learned in the corporate world, very important. Yeah. It's not a lot of time on it. And it works because they are large companies. They're very successful. Yes, you can't just walk in with a playbook and say like, this is how we do our OKRs. Like that doesn't really, doesn't really work, right? Anybody who's tried to do an OKR at a small startup, <laughs> I, I, have, I have this empathy for you. It was terrible. It was difficult. We all hated the process, but we tried it. <laughs> Dang it, we tried it. Yeah. 
but yeah, grab those lessons you learned, adapt them a little bit, and you'd be surprised how much you already know. Like I said something, I can't even remember what it was, but I was talking about like this like process that was second nature to me when it came to like agile products and things like that. And they were like, interesting. And then it was like, well, what if we do like a stage gate procedure? And they were like, interesting. And I was like, well, this is great. And you'll have those little moments where you're just like, yes, exactly. You have those moments where you're like, oh, okay. Oh, my confidence is back. Oh, I'm smart again. And just like grab those and just don't be afraid because if you have those little moments, they will propel you forward when the other ones are pulling you back. Your talk track around just the intimidation of tech is this giant. I mean, that resonates so deeply. Naturally with what we do at Sales Assembly, we come across a lot of candidates who are looking to break into tech. And we also work with a lot of entrepreneurs, founders, VPs, C-suite, where this is really their first shot at it. And one of the things that they always say is, I feel like I don't know enough about this industry. I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk the talk. I don't know how to walk the walk. What do I need to know? I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to get the respect that I need to from my peers because I haven't been in tech. And I think it's more this thing that exists that's not really real. I mean, and it's like the more that we build up this whole like, well, if you haven't been in tech, you can't speak the language, you can't come in. Your advice of, no, you can get into tech, get into whatever you're going to be passionate about, and then just find ways to learn it. And you spoke about something that I think is big, which is finding community and reaching out to people and seeking out the knowledge. How did you do that? Like, how did you know who to reach out to? What did you ask them? How did you find a community to help you up level? So I found a couple people and I was like, what do you do when you have a question? Like, how do you ask people? Right. Because like, we were a tiny company. We had a head of product. She was crazy busy. So I was like, I need to learn things about product. I need to learn more about SaaS sales strategies. And so I went, I asked our sales ops manager. I asked her, I asked a couple other people who had been in tech and been in startups before and said, where do you go for this info? And they gave me a whole bunch of suggestions. It was like groups, like it was revenue collective. Then it's pavilion. Now there was like a couple different, like sales assembly for one, like looking, how do I find these types of groups and just like put yourself in it and like just dip a toe in, see what works for you. Not all of them are going to work for everybody, but they will grab different pieces of what you need to know. And I like what somebody said to me one time and it was like, you get it, you get out of it what you put into it. So if I want to get a lot out of this like networking group and this kind of little community, I put a lot in, I get a lot out. And I saw that so fast because as soon as I did more than dip my toe in, I had this wonderful group of people who I now meet with every single month and we kind of talk about where our journey is. And they were the people who I was like, they said this was normal. And they go, Kirsten, that's not normal. And I was like, okay, okay, thanks. It didn't feel normal. I just needed somebody else to tell me. Right. I mean, the power of community. And I also like I giggled because I'm like, that's what a brilliant way to go about it, which is instead of finding somebody randomly and being like, hey, can I ask you a few questions about tech? I love how you went to your network and you were like, when you have a question about something, what do you do? And it's like you're finding the pathways and getting the intros through asking somebody how they ask questions. I just I've never heard that answer before. And I love it. And I think your journey is incredible, but telling your story here, I think is going to help a lot of people who one, feel really intimidated to get into tech, but two, feel really intimidated to get into tech at a startup at a more executive level. So your insight has been incredible and brought us to our rapid reveal section. 
Oh, yay. Okay. This is the, the even <laughs> more fun part. So the rapid reveal, it's five questions. You have 60 seconds or less to give your answer. And this is to help our listeners get to know who you are personally a little bit better and to have a little bit of fun. So if you're game, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Question number one, what's the boldest thing you've ever done? There's a lot. I am essentially a bold person by nature. Like I'm just going to yeah. try it out and do it. The one that comes to mind just straight off the bat is the fact that I was living in Chicago for eight years. And I said, I'm kind of done. I'm just going to move to LA. Do I know anyone in LA? Did I know what I was doing? Absolutely not. Did I know anything about where I live? Did I go there and like search things out before? No, it just seemed like a good idea. And again, down the story of like, what's the worst that can happen? Worst that happens is I don't like it. I move home. So like, let's do it. And so for a while, I didn't have any friends. I had my dog, but I didn't have any friends. But you figure it out. And somebody takes a chance on you and it's great. And now people are like, you moved here not knowing anyone and you had to restart your whole network. And I was like, yep, yes, I did. That's not crazy. That's bold. It's funny because I, I think of these rapid real questions, obviously, before we have our conversation. And I laughed that this was the one I happened to pick because so much of what you just talked us all through were these like bold things that you've done. And I'm like, what's the boldest thing you've done that you didn't just tell us about? Because we just heard like five of them. So <laughs> I love how fearless you are. It's incredibly cool. Airbed is lucky to have unique people like that in your executive team. Thanks. Number two, what's an irrational fear of yours? So you witnessed this when we had lunch, but <laughs> I have a crazy fear of birds. And it's because my mother showed my neighbor and me the movie, The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock when we were like seven or eight. And I have never been the same. I am that crazy person. Like, so at the L and there's like those pigeons there and you walk by and they kind of move a little bit. I flinch and scream. I am a grown woman and I will run away from a pigeon and I don't care. And I have this fear that they will peck my brain out through my eyeballs. And that is how I will die. And it doesn't feel irrational. It feels totally normal. Yeah. I mean, you, birds are unpredictable. And for everybody listening, Kristen and I had lunch together before this and we were inside and there were these little birds that had made their way in. And one of them flew down and landed right on the booth next to her. And she was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was terrifying. And I can't control it. Like, I can't be a grown up about it. I can't just sit here and say like, this is okay. This is definitely not okay. It's coming for me. It was a good icebreaker. You're, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, are you okay? You're like, oh, it's a bird. Get it away. Definitely not okay. Yeah. All right. Number three, what do you think makes a good role model? There's so many things. And I think role models are so personal, at least for me, they are. So what makes a good role model for me is I need somebody who is truly authentic, right? I need them to be like, I need to know who you are in order to kind of put you on this pedestal as a role model. And it's also important that you be kind. It's so easy to be nice. It's also kind of easy to be mean, like choose the right thing and be kind. And that's something that really endears people, I believe, when you're kind to other people. The last thing, and this is what I think is personal for me, is I need to see somebody who has really high standards. I want to see that, like, what is good? What is great? I need to do it. And I need to see it in their actions and not their words. Because there's so many people that can say, this is what you should be doing. But I want to see them adhere to their own high standards and watch somebody do something that I think is great. Kindness and high standards. All right. Number four. If you could go back in time and give your younger self a single piece of advice, what would it be? I would say stop comparing yourself to other people. That's something, and I still challenge myself with that all the time. It's So it's something I need to tell myself still to this day. I wish I would have started when I was younger, but everybody's on this journey 
And so everybody has different speeds at different times. Like some people are fast and straightaways. Some people are faster around curves. Some people get a little advantage at one point and you'll get yours later. But if you continually compare yourself to other people, it only hurts you. And that's something that I keep having to remind myself. And I think that's actually one of the things that I find most frustrating about women in the workplace is that we need to come together, stop comparing ourselves. There's enough room for everybody. And so help each other. Don't compare yourself. Don't think that just because she got this promotion that there isn't room for you at that same like table, that same executive table for you as well. Nobody should be competing with this. We should be helping each other. But I think it's that comparison to other people that breeds this like animosity and self-doubt. And I would, I wish I would have started that phrase within myself sooner. Mm. That was beautiful. And number five, what's your biggest pet peeve? I have so many. We all do. We all do. <laughs> right? So many. Most people who've met me would say it's grammar, but it actually is people being late. Oh. I think there's like this inherent disrespect that comes from people being consistently late. I've been in meetings where like one of the main people is late and therefore we're all sitting and waiting. So it costs the company a bunch of money in case anybody's out there wondering about that. That's also something that goes through my head. But it's the idea that we're all coming together. Somebody is coming somewhere. Like if you're not going to be on time, everybody makes mistakes. Tell people about it. Say like, I am running 10 minutes late or I am on a phone call. I will be five minutes late. Give that respect. It's not the act of being on time. It's the inherent like respect that comes from showing up for people. Oh, my mom laid that into me where she was like, people waiting on you is how they view your brand. Like, be careful with that. And I was like, oh my God. So I'm chronically early. Well, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. And while we are at the end of our time, I imagine there are people who are going to want to get to know more about you, certainly hear more about AirVet. I would bet that most people who have a pet, especially in your area, have likely used your technology. So where can listeners go to connect with you personally and maybe learn about you and ask you some of those questions that you had to ask others a long time ago? And then also where can they learn about AirVet? Yeah, I would say, I mean, to find me, obviously, everybody I'm sure says LinkedIn. It's super easy to find me. If you look up AirVet or if you look up Kirsten Reynolds, that there's only a couple of us, but right there, there's only a few of us, we can find us, but AirVet, AirVet.com. We just redid our website not too long ago. It's real cute. There's Frenchie on the front page. I'm a fan, but yeah, contact me on LinkedIn. My email is also Kirsten at AirVet.com. So really easy to find me there as well. But check us out. If you have a pet, it's something that's great. We're consumer first. I love everything about it. If you want to work at a startup that sounds like the craziness that I just described to everybody, we are also <laughs> hiring people too, which I know everybody is, but there's so much happening in the vet space. If you're all curious about it, check us out, check out the vet space in general, or just ask me a question. I'm open to connecting to anybody because every, as I've told everybody, you need that network to make it work. I love it. Well, you are now a part of every listener's network. So thank you for being here and sharing your story and for your candor. And thank you everybody else for listening to Taking the Lead. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.